What is up, everyone? This is Jonathan Perez here, your host for the Become Unlimited podcast, where the purpose of the podcast is to explore and equip you with the most effective tools and practices across topics such as nutrition, fitness, emotional and mental health, spirituality, relationships, and lifestyle design. On this episode of the podcast, we have the opportunity to chat with Brittany Ford, also known as Biohacking Brittany. That's how you can find her on Instagram. That's how I found her, Biohacking Brittany. She has been on a pretty intense, but also pretty enlightening from what I can see, health journey. She's learned a ton from essentially fixing her own health and now thriving in her life. And she's now passionate about helping others one-on-one through private clients, also sharing through her social media platform, her own journey, and through her podcast. So she has a lot of amazing stuff out there if you haven't checked it out. Also, she has healed from a variety of health conditions. So if you are suffering from something specifically, and especially if you're a woman, I think she is a great resource to tap into. I specifically was interested in having this convo with Brittany because I thought, hmm, I think she can probably have some very great perspectives on what are some of the differences to consider for men and women when it comes to approaching health. And I, of course, as a male, have an understanding of what it means to approach health from my perspective. But I know that women have some unique characteristics, of course, biologically we're different, and therefore hormonally and in different ways also in addition to hormones, we are simply different, obviously. So I asked her some questions around what are some of the things to think about specifically when approaching your health journey as a woman? What are some of the things to think about if you're going towards specific diets? And we also talk about approaching health in general and our relationship with food overall. And what are some of the things we can think about when we want to begin the journey of improving our lifestyle through food and overall health. So there's a lot there. I think you'll have a lot of great nuggets. And if you have a woman in your life that you care about, this will be a great episode to share with them specifically around how to think about the specific areas around health that might be relevant to them. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dive right into the conversation with biohacking Brittany. Hope you enjoy. All right, Brittany, welcome to the podcast. Good to have you. Awesome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I've been uh, long awaiting our convo uh, because I have some some questions to ask you, of course. And before I ask you my questions, of course, I want to hear from you and for everyone listening, if you can share a little bit about uh, what you do in the world today. I would have given a quick blurb on your your bio, but I want you to Mm -hmm. share with us what you do in the world today and how you serve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So I am a holistic nutritionist, first and foremost. So I work with clients one-on-one and definitely take a more of a biohacking approach with them. So it tends to be very nutrition focused, but also very lifestyle focused. Um, And that's kind of where I specialize with clients is bringing in more than just recipes and food, because I think that's really needed in order to heal. Um, so that's kind of where I focus right now with my clients. 
Um, and then on top of that, I also have a podcast and work with other brands and do a whole bunch of different type of work. Honestly, it really varies. Um, and then I'm also creating on the side right now, a product that is hopefully going to be launching this fall. That is a biohacking product, I guess. Um, and is focused on female health as well. Nice. Mm-hmm. I heard you say, and also, and also, and also, which is why I was yeah. asking what you actually did, because I, I know mm-hmm. that it's been progressively growing for you, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. And I think to follow up on that, my first question would be, if you can clarify, I think everyone has their own definition of it, but how would you define biohacking in the way that you use it with clients and with yourself? Yeah, totally. So I, my definition is holistic self-care for optimal health. And so basically what that means is that instead of only focusing on one pillar, like nutrition or sleep, it kind of looks at everything that makes you, you. And once we kind of assess like fully your lifestyle, your nutrition, your fitness, everything, we look at how can we optimize this and how can we actually take you to a healthier point than where you are right now? Yeah. Mm -hmm pretty similar to how I think about it. And it's fun when I got into the whole biohacking world, (laughs) it's hard to to stop because there's so many cool things that are always being uh, pulled out, especially when you have folks like for me, at least it's been like Dave Asprey and Ben Mm -hmm. Greenfield and all kinds of cool things. Um, Mm -hmm. And one of the main reasons I wanted to bring you on the podcast was because I have recognized that when we try and optimize our health, For men and women, there's, of course, a lot of overlap, I think, in things that generally will make you a healthier and better person. However, I have noticed that there are some differences between men and women and our bodies. And I wanted to pick your brain in how you think about that. And maybe you can speak to how you see clients and maybe the differences that you there are the different methods or ways that you take when you work with either men or women clients. I'll start there first and then we can go from there to pick up a bit of the differences. Yeah, 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 for sure. So, I mean, there's obviously a lot of differences, right? Um, When we take any type of biohack or health trend or diet or anything like that and try to apply it to everybody, it just doesn't work because it's not like one size fits all that whole mentality. It doesn't work because we're so unique as individuals. So you know, we're different based on, you know, sex and gender for sure. But even within that, we're very different. Um, I've worked with a ton of females and all of them are slightly different. And some sort of meal plan that I make for one doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for another, even if they both are female and similar age and maybe going through something similar. So I think that's what I also really like about biohacking is that it really factors in the uniqueness of our biology and our health. And we're moving towards more of a personalized health state rather than one size fits all, like I said, or like blanket approaches. Um, And we're seeing this across the board everywhere. Like even with supplements now, like you can get like personalized supplements delivered to you monthly. Um, Practitioners are doing this. Like it's kind of becoming the new thing, I guess, which is a good thing, I guess. But yeah, when I work with clients, it's definitely, definitely different. Um, there's a lot of biohacks that, or not a lot, but there's some biohacks that for women, you have to alter because they can just be too much for the female body. 
So things like intermittent fasting, right? So the idea that you have this eating window and then certain hours of the day you're not eating can be stressful and too stressful for a lot of women. And it can lead to sleep issues, hormone issues, trouble conceiving, uh, pregnancy problems, all of these things. So it's like, there's a lot of, a lot of biohacks that are good in theory. And a lot of the data that supports them is based off of men. But in practice, when women are actually doing them, there's typically side effects that are not talked about as much. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So obviously a lot of differences and I love what you said that we're all, first of all, even beyond the, the female and male aspect that we're mm-hmm. unique in that way. And so if I'm a client coming into you and let's say I'm a woman in this case coming to you, and what are some of the things that you would scope for or advise for as it relates to maybe doing it different than you would a male client perhaps? Yeah, definitely. So we definitely talk about your menstrual cycle. Um, how is it going? Symptoms around it. Is it regular? Are you, do you have kids? Are you planning to have kids at one point? Because that definitely changes the recommendations as well. Um, a woman who, you know, doesn't necessarily want to have kids, doesn't necessarily need to be worried about fertility as much, obviously, right? Like we still want to balance the hormones for other reasons, but it's not as, um, as important, I guess. So that's kind of like where we would start. And there's a lot of questions that go into that, right? Like, what are your symptoms like? Do you gain weight? Do you feel bloated? How are your moods? How's your sex drive? Like, how's your libido? How is your mental health is another big one as well. So it's, you really have to unpack it because it's not just like an easy question of, you know, like, do you PMS or something like simple like that? you really have to unpack it because a lot of the time when, when we're kind of getting started on our health journey, we actually might not realize the symptoms that we're dealing with or the signs that we're dealing with, right? Like if you've been having headaches your whole life, you just kind of think that's normal and everyone has that. But then you talk to somebody and you realize, oh, wait a minute, most people don't have this. Oh, okay. Like why is this actually happening? So we really have to like uncover things um, to see what's going on. And there's a lot of awareness around that. And then most of the time, female clients are kind of shocked that they shouldn't be feeling that way or that shouldn't be happening, right? Like we've kind of normalized certain symptoms and it's possible to not have them. So it's, it's, a, it's a very big discussion. Yeah. Yeah, we've normalized a lot of things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think especially stress is the one that comes to mind for me. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of questions I think that revolve around yeah, the menstrual aspect. And actually it's funny you said the like if you're not planning to have kids, that does change the conversation a bit. I didn't even I have never even considered mm-hmm. that, I guess, for myself. I mean, I'm a man, mm-hmm. but either way, for a woman, I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> yeah. Um and in terms of intermittent fasting, because I know and I, I'm also curious in terms of diets, because let's go there first in terms of diets, because I think the first thing that most people do is maybe they see something on social media or wherever. And they're like, I'm going keto. I'm never going to eat a carb in my life again. Yeah, (laughs) that's it. (laughs) So if, if a woman is considering that, let's say, or maybe we can speak to to the male later, but 
Uh, I can speak a little bit to that in some cases, but for women specifically, if if you have a client that's coming in, like I'm going to go hardcore on keto, you know, what are some of the things you would recommend they think about before maybe diving deep on that end? And then the other thing I want to chat about later is how intermittent fasting ties in and things to think about as well. Yeah. So if someone comes in and, and is keto um, or even like vegan, vegetarian, it's, it, it's a, again, it's a bigger discussion because we have to kind of peel back and, and ask like, why are you eating this way in the first place? Um, sometimes people will have specific reasons, right? Like weight loss or it's for the environment or something like that. So we have to have that conversation to understand where they're coming from. Um, but then it's kind of this idea of, are you still getting the right nutrients that you need every day? And are you eating enough calories? Because if you're in a calorie deficit every single day, like sure, you might lose weight, but there's going to be a bunch of other side effects that go along with that if you try and do that long-term. Um, and it's same with keto, right? Like keto, keto is great in theory and it's great for short periods of time, but it's so restrictive that the average person doing keto long-term, like it just doesn't work because you like eating high fat and high medium protein and low carb your whole life. Like it's just hard. Like, and it's also like, is that enjoyable? Is there pleasure in that? Is there enjoyment in that? Like what happens if you go to a wedding? Are you only going to eat like whatever fat component is available for you? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's just unrealistic to, to try and eat like that full time and like for your whole life. So I think it's, yeah, I think you have to be careful with doing these diets long-term. Um, and the other part of it is, and I know from experience is every time you do these diets and you stop doing the diet, you have this whole like emotional response, right? Like you, you break the diet and then you eat, you know, chips and soda or whatever you're eating. And then you feel guilty and then you feel bad. And then you feel gross with yourself. And then maybe you gain weight again. And then you're like, okay, now I'm going to try being vegan. And it's like this whole diet culture, yo-yo dieting cycle. And it's terrible. And it's, it really takes a toll on your mental health. So I like to teach about sustainable, healthy nutrition practices that aren't associated with a single diet. Um, and it's pretty basic stuff. Like it's not groundbreaking new things, but I think that's why a lot of people actually don't do them. And I was just talking about this earlier this week is like the healthy nutrition habits that work aren't very sexy. Like they're not like trendy and cool. They're like, drink a lot of water and like eat vegetables and try eat organic. Like they're very basic things, but doing them day in and day out is actually what works and is actually sustainable long-term. So we have to kind of like flip the script on it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I can relate a lot to what you're saying because I was actually, I took that road where I went extreme and essentially I was trying to cover my bases also through supplements and all of that. And mm -hmm. I didn't recognize that there was a lot of the mental and emotional part that I wasn't dealing with. So I kept, uh, 
trying to fix my stress and emotional problems with good foods and also through supplements. And I wasn't looking at that. And then eventually through the years, to your point, now I'm at the very basics, like, okay, I just eat clean food. I minimize the amount of supplements I need. I focus on the food. I get good sleep. I drink water. I, and I exercise and I walk and I get sun. That's nice. the majority, <laughs> which uh, it comes down to. So uh, I totally hear you on that because it can get overwhelming, I think is also what I'm taking away from what you're saying for folks when they have all these different diets and this one's not working. So I'm just going to go to this one. Uh, and I'm curious to hear maybe to clarify it a little bit, if people are experiencing certain symptoms or certain things, because I think like fatigue is one, maybe people are feeling overweight and whatnot. So what are some of the symptoms that you'd say to watch out for that maybe would signal that need to, that you need to incorporate maybe just the basics versus going after like a crazy diet or something like that, or any supplements. I think we also look to supplements first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I mean, there's a lot. Like the first thing that comes to mind would be assessing your relationship with food. I think that if you're somebody who feels guilty when you eat certain foods or, or feels like you need to deprive yourself um, or kind of has that just like restrictive and binging idea with food or you're eating food for comfort or like anything like that like those emotions are very strong and often they're actually rooted in like childhood things that have happened and our relationship with food um but if you're dealing with any of that which are like majority of people are i would not suggest dieting at all because it's only making you more obsessed with food it's only putting a magnifying glass on everything that you're eating which you probably already had. Um, and then it's just going to exemplify the emotions that go with that. So I think if you're in a very positive, comfortable state with food um, and you've done a lot of work and you realize that you don't necessarily eat when you're sad or, or emotionally eat, which a lot of us do in different ways. I think if you're, yeah, I think if you're at a healthy state with food, you could try something like keto, um, but you'd have to continuously reassess to make sure that you're not kind of going down this like slippery slope of becoming obsessed with what you're eating. Um, and it's very easy for people to become obsessed with what they're eating. Um, eat, whether it's like everything has to be super healthy or everything has to be vegan, whatever it looks like, a lot of people do it. Um, yeah. And it looks differently for other people too, right? Like there's people who want to gain mass. Like a lot of men who are really into the gym, like are so obsessed with food. It just looks so different from maybe the average female, right? It's all about like the protein shakes and the protein powders and what are my macros today? And like, what's, did I take my pre-workout and like all of these things but it's the same thing. It's like, you're still obsessing with what you're putting in your body and you're still manipulating food in order to get a certain result. So it, yeah, it's really, I think increasing mindfulness around food would be the first step. Yeah. And I love the way it's, this conversation has evolved into before you even start to consider the diets and supplements that we do have to look at to your point, 
the relationship mm-hmm. with food, why we want to do certain things and why do we do certain behaviors that we do in the first place? And you start mm-hmm. to build that self-awareness because, you know, again, going back to my example, I used to think that my, that supplements would solve my emotional problems and stress. <laughs> and soon enough, I realized I wasn't getting any positive impact because the emotions that were underneath all that or the unresolved, I think emotion is a better way to mm-hmm. uh, label it was what's getting in the way. So that being said, because I know that we all started from, from women's versus men's approach to this. And mm-hmm. first of all, I think that, that that aspect, the emotional realm, getting help in that realm probably looks similar. And then I think what you're saying is you probably go there first with clients. Let's, let's explore your relationship first with everything that's going on for you. Eventually, we'll get to the details and biohacking supplements and all the cool <laughs> stuff, right? Mm-hmm. You, get, you get to the basics first. Mm-hmm. Um, but if someone is, to your point, now having a healthy relationship with food, they understand, right? And now they're trying to take it to the next level. And I forget, I think it was Neurohacker Collective that, and it, it makes sense, but they essentially said like 80% comes down to like the foundational stuff that you were talking about. And mm-hmm. then the 20% on top of that is the crazy biohacking stuff that we mm-hmm. talk about, which is still fun. So yeah. assuming then that people are working and they're, you know, 70 to 80% is looking good. Going back to a woman's perspective, what are some of the things that you would call out are unique as they start to consider certain things? Like we can start maybe with intermittent fasting. How would that be different for a man or woman? And then we can go into maybe certain biohacks or supplements as well that I think comes down to very specific things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, getting to a point where you're 80% healthy is like very impressive. (laughs) Um, I don't think a lot of people are there, but if you are there and then you're into biohacking, that's very cool. Um, So like something like intermittent fasting, you know, I used to intermittent fast all the time. I probably, I probably did it for like, I don't know, maybe three years, two years, something like that like every day about like 16, eight, like the typical window. Um, and it really screwed with my hormones and it really made me look at these ideas and, and how they impact women and how they impact people individually. And just because there's a biohack that's super trendy doesn't necessarily mean that it's for you and doesn't necessarily mean it's going to benefit you, which is hard to actually understand and, um, agree with, but yeah. So for women, if you're looking at intermittent fasting, um, assuming you're pre-menopausal, I would suggest that you, you have to be careful. Like you can try it maybe one day a week or two days a week and that's it. And that would be that like 16, eight window where you don't eat for 16 hours and you eat for eight hours. Um, Sometimes people prefer to do it at different times of their cycle as well, which can be very beneficial. So definitely not during your period because like that is a like pretty stressful time for the body already. So it's just being mindful of when during the month you might be doing it. Um, and yeah, and, and taking it, you know, doing a little bit, right? Like we don't need to do everything to the extreme in order to actually benefit from it, right? Like less is more with intermittent fasting for women, for sure. Um, it's different if you're postmenopausal though, because the, the research has shown that women 
who no longer menstruate benefit a lot from consistently intermittent fasting because they don't have the hormones at the same levels that can be affected, right? Like they're not trying to get pregnant. They don't have a cycle. So it's like, and they do very well. They res- their body responds very well. But women who are, you know, under whatever age, like it tends to be too stressful and it tends to create more symptoms around their periods and also impact sleep as well, which is also hormonal. Hormonal. So it kind of all relates. Um, and I think that you can do a little bit and benefit from it and get the benefits of intermittent fasting. I just think you can't do it daily, long-term without negative effects. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think when you think, when you think about the woman's body, especially um, pre-menopausal, right? Their bodies mm-hmm. are going through this cycle of preparing to create life and therefore depriving it of nutrients and food. It's probably like, what the hell is going on here? We're trying to create life and prepare your body for it. And you're not feeding us what we should be eating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At least that's where my brain went. Yeah. Uh, and it yeah. makes sense. Exactly. We need like regular timed food. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't have to be like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It can be like smaller meals throughout the day, but it's regularly eating and regularly like the timing of food is very important. And a lot of people don't place a lot of emphasis on that. It's more like focused on what we're eating rather than when. Um, yeah. And like, if you're eating late at night, you know, like it's, it's not, as we know, like it impacts your sleep. It's the same thing. It's just on the other side is like midnight snacking is not good for anybody. Right. Like, so mm. yeah, I wish there was more em- emphasis placed on when we eat in general, actually, but I don't think there is right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, trust me, I used to be the one who would eat dinner at like 9, 30, 10. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I eat dinner at like five and yeah. people are like, what the heck? That's super early, dude. What are you doing? That's like yeah. lunchtime for me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it has, yeah, it has improved my sleep a lot, actually. Good. Good. Um, so in terms of, I think that's one specific, which is super cool and super helpful uh, as a follow-up in terms of fertility. If some, mm. I think it probably relates to what I was saying as well, but, uh, you'd probably recommend a very easy or maybe even non intermittent fasting. Like if a woman is working on fertility or maybe she's, you know, wanting to be fertile, is there any connection mm. there? Yeah. So I definitely don't recommend fasting during pregnancy. Um, I don't think anybody does. I haven't seen, mm-hmm. I haven't seen anybody do that. And I don't think well, I've never been pregnant, so I can't fully speak to this, but I don't think you would want to fast anyway. Like I'm assuming you have a lot of like cravings for food and like need the energy from food. So I don't think that that would be something that would be on your radar, but, um, for fertility and pregnancy, a diet that is rich in healthy fat is always going to be recommended. Um, if you look at the books that are the go-to for fertility that all the women read um, and men about what to eat. A lot of it is like saturated fats, healthy fats, because our hormones are made out of fat. Um, The way that we, our cells replicate, we need healthy fat for the cell membranes. Like we, and not like, not like canola oil, like butter. You know what I mean? Like actually healthy, healthy fat. Um, is the way to go. And so 
Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that's what most like the average American woman does. Like I, I don't know because I haven't like dipped my toes into this realm myself yet from being pregnant. Like, I'm not sure what's normal. I just know what the books say and what I would do myself and what I recommend to clients. But I, from what I gather, I'm assuming that the average pregnancy diet is probably very much filled with processed food and cheap food and things that people crave because that's what the typical American diet is right now. And I don't think it probably changes that much, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the the reality for sure. And uh, as it relates to the, like the healthy fats you were alluding to the, the very first episode I did for those of you listening, I I break down this pretty deeply with Daniel, who you can connect with. Thanks. because I know it can be confusing with all kinds of different ones, but mm-hmm. yeah, I think when I think about that, it's like you're creating life. So you probably yeah. need the things that would create life quite literally, which healthy foods mm-hmm. have that, that have the nutrients, et cetera, to, to build that. So that totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. And as I'm thinking, maybe if we get more foundational as it relates to, and this can start leading into both for men and women, but you can probably lay down the land here in terms of what you would recommend just in general, right? I think you talked about exploring your relationship with food and maybe it's, maybe this is someone who's not your coming in as your client, but now you're maybe just suggesting and recommending to those listening, right? Maybe these are the folks who, you know, they want to make changes. They've seen some results here kind of, but they still haven't really gotten it down. Um, what are, what are the, the steps that you would suggest they take to start making changes in their life as it relates to food, lifestyle, et cetera? Yeah. I mean, there's so many, like people always ask me this, like, how can I biohack my day? But like, there's so much that you can do. Like there's so like, there just is like, you, you know, when I started biohacking in like 2018, when like I first heard that word, it was like, there was, <laughs> there were some companies out there and, and it was kind of like this growing movement and now it's just like, holy, the technology you can buy, the products you can buy is like nuts. Like it's really exploded, which is very cool. But I think if you, yeah, I think there's a lot that you can focus on. Um, a great place to start is your sleep. And I think a lot of biohackers do start there. Um, and again, there's a lot of products on the market to help with it, but it's really, really looking at how healthy is your sleep? So do you go to the bed? Do you go to bed at the same time every night? Do you wake up at the same time? Um, how much blue light are you exposed to before you go to sleep? What does like, what does your evening routine look like? Right. And the reality is for most people, it's like Netflix until midnight and then bed and like potentially eating until midnight and then bed. And like that is so far from us as humans as what we should be doing and what we've done for however many years. So like my evening routine is very much like set and focused on what I like, what my biology wants, what my body wants. Right. So I use blue blocking glasses. I have my phone go red. I don't work past a certain time. I have notifications turned off. I have like 
blackout curtains. I have an air conditioner to make sure the temperature is controlled. I don't go to bed later than 10 p.m. Um, I don't eat past, I don't know, 7 p.m. Like, so everything is just so formulated on this idea that I want to gradually get tired and then read for a little bit in bed and then get the best sleep possible in the window that I give myself. So it's not just about like eight hours of sleep. It's like, how much deep sleep are you getting? How much REM sleep are you getting? Are you actually hitting the numbers that you should be hitting for somebody your age and your gender and your weight or whatever, right? And all of that data is available online. Um, You just have to look for it. And you can use something like an aura ring or some like an Apple watch or whatever it is in order to track your sleep, which can help as well. But yeah, that's where I would start with a lot of people is like, if you're not sleeping well, and if you're not hitting the points that you should be hitting, or if like your HRV is really bad too, it's really low. Like that's a big thing to to do and focus on and fix your sleep and, and work on those stats And then like, you can look at what's actually happening during the day a bit more. Mm. Yeah. And it's great. You mentioned that because for me, that's been underneath everything else, the sleep bit. It's like, if you're not, if you're not rested, then it's going to be hard to even have the energy to to even consider all the other stuff. And there's a general cycle that I see happens and it used to happen to me. Not, not as often anymore, obviously, because I've been able to, uh, fix a good chunk of it, but you know, I would, I would eat late. I would go to bed late and then I would get crappy sleep. And then because I would get crappy sleep, I would get stressed. And then because I got stressed, I would get crappy sleep. And it was literally just the cycle. And I had to yeah. literally understand what was happening there because I couldn't understand. I'm like, what the heck, right? I should be getting mm-hmm. good sleep because I'm taking these supplements and I'm eating this, this, and this. Right. Um, I wasn't literally looking at it. Like you're saying, mm-hmm. yeah. So sleep, and as it relates to uh, food, I imagine you're probably um, considering, like you said, understand what you're eating and probably look mm-hmm. for just the high quality to the extent that, that you can. I think we understand that everyone's circumstances um, are different. But if you had to pinpoint like a few key things around just, just food, like if someone's walking uh, around the, the grocery store, what are a couple of things that you would um, highlight for them as tips? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, And I totally agree with what you said about sleep, because if you're not sleeping well, like everything else ends up sacrificing, right? Like your immune system, stress, like all of it, it all kind of relates to you taking proper time to rest. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So if you're in the grocery store, like there's definitely some things that you can do that are very easy that are helpful. So something that nutritionists often recommend is Um, shopping the perimeter of the grocery store. And that's because that is where all of the things that need to be kept cold or in a fridge are typically. And typically those things are much healthier than things that are found on shelves. So, you know, produce, um, vegetables, fruit, uh, meat, if you eat meat, dairy, eggs, um, all of that sort of stuff. And that is kind of really, really what should be making up the majority of your meals. Um, And then it's avoiding the aisles that have chips and cereal and all of this like food that's just like processed garbage. Um, And I say that, but I eat it too. So like, I am not a superior at all to this. Um, But it's just about making sure that the majority of what you eat 
is very nutrient dense and is rooted in the earth and in nature, right? Like another way you can look at it is when you pick up something and you're buying something, like how many ingredients is in the thing that you're buying? So if you are buying a head of broccoli, like it's only broccoli that you're buying. But if you're buying like broccoli crackers or like sweet potato chips, and then you look at the back and it's like canola oil, um, yams, um, some sort of like cheap salt or whatever is in it, right? Like you're actually consuming much more than you think. Um, So if you kind of try and stick to this idea of buying things that have one ingredient, maybe two ingredients, that's another very easy thing to follow. Um, yeah, but it's easier said than done, but still, yeah. <laughs> yeah. By default, you're saying that you would get just, just better ingredients. And yeah. I think, I think I told, I'm totally with you. Like, it's not about not eating, I don't know, the ice cream per se. It's, it's more mm-hmm. so about, at least what I hear you saying, where I go to is about assessing the relationship that we have when we do eat the ice cream, because totally. if you eat the ice cream and then you go into this guilt that yes. guilt, I don't give a shit what you're eating. The guilt that you're feeling and that you're creating a cycle around is actually affecting you even more. Yes. So I would say, and I think you would agree, we explore the relationship with food and guilt first around it <laughs> before we yeah. start narrowing down all the things that we're eating and not eating. Yeah. There's a lot there. Like, honestly, like if you hide your food as well, so like you will eat ice cream, but only when you're alone. Or, or you've like somebody offered you a slice of cake and you said no, and then you threw it in the garbage. And then when everyone left, you took it out of the garbage and ate it. Like those are big signals that like your relationship with food needs work because for whatever reason you feel like it's like shame, right? Like I'm going to eat this by myself and no one's going to be around because I feel shame, like shameful eating this. And, and that is very much rooted in some deep things that are going on for people. Um, so it can be guilt. It can be shame. It can be comfort too, right? Like how many people go to work and work nine to five and come home and crack a beer and just sit with a beer. And then you say, why do you have a beer every day? And then they say, oh, it feels good. It helps me relax. And it's like, you find your life so stressful and so not relaxed that you have to have that beer when you come home because you need that feeling, right? So there's many different things that can be happening and and getting to the bottom of it is hard work. A lot of people actually don't want to do the work, like to be straight up, like a lot of people might be aware that they have to have a beer or a glass of wine every night to feel good, but they don't care. And they're just going to continue doing it because they don't want to do the work that is needed to change. Um, and that's hard. It's hard when you see people like that. Yep. And I think it's, it's the truth because again, yeah. it goes back to that reality that it's not about, because what you're not saying is don't drink the beard. It's not, you're not saying don't drink the wine. It's, mm-hmm. are you aware when you're doing it to mask some underlying feeling that you're trying to shut down? Or are you aware that, no, I'm actually just choosing to consume the glass of wine or the beer. I'm not mm-hmm. letting it own me. I'm not just mm-hmm. making the decision out of an unconscious choice, if you will. Mm-hmm. And 
Yeah, I'm 100% there. And I think for those listening that if you find yourself in that realm in some way, shape or form to pay attention to that first, because, you know, I was, I was one who, again, I was like, oh, cool. I just go and try all these cool biohacks and things and spend all this money on the supplements and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't actually looking at my relationship with food, Mm -hmm. nor was I looking at the unresolved emotional issues that I was struggling with. And I'll be honest that I actually gained way more energy from resolving those underlying emotional issues than with anything I could buy outside of me. So point being that it's like fix the inside of you first before you get anything from the outside to try and quote unquote help you. Yeah. 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 And there's like a lot of ways to do that, right? Like therapy is great. Um, Or like, I mean, there's so many different modalities that can really help with that. Even like journaling, if you don't want to actually talk to somebody uh, or meditating can be really great for that. And kind of like looking at your relationship with food and your relationship with your body as well. I think that's difficult too, is like, as we get older, our bodies change and we kind of, well, I speak for myself. Like I just got so used to my body being a certain way and then it changes. And then you're kind of like, do I still love myself or love my body the same as I did when it was like this, you know, five years ago or whatever it is. And so it's kind of like, yes, relationship with food, but also relationship with like how that food impacts your body and relationship with yourself, I guess, in general. Um, And I agree with you. I think when you do the deep work, I think you actually get much better results. Yeah. Yep. And I'd agree that there's so many resources, like you said, therapy, mm-hmm. journaling, you know, if you have questions around that, I'm sure Brittany, you're open to people reaching out to you, mm-hmm. uh, reach out to me as well. Uh, we're we're yeah. loaded on the, the resources on that front as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think both you and I recognize that that's a massive part of the work that actually also happens. And I think where we started this convo was around them getting specific on certain things as you start to work on that, then how can you get more specific with some of the details as well? Um, Honing in on your uniqueness, your unique body, what's going to work for you. What's not going to work for you as well. There's so much there. Yeah. Um, So I'm looking at time as well. And I'm curious, anything else that you'd like to leave with folks that you want to share as we close out the convo? Yeah. Um, what do I want to share? I think that it's a journey and like, that's so cheesy and annoying to say, but you know, no one has perfect health, right? Like no one, even Dave Asprey and Ben Greenfield, like their health is not perfect. And like, once you realize that it's actually kind of mind blowing because you kind of are trying to achieve this like optimal health level. But the thing is, is like the human body is not perfect. So it's, not appropriate for us to expect it to be perfect. We just want to be healthier and like the healthiest we can be. And so when you kind of have that realization that you can become healthier, but you will never be perfect. And you can kind of give yourself grace and understand that your health is like a lifelong journey. And sometimes it's going to be great. And sometimes it's going to be really shitty and that's how it goes. Like, it's nice because it kind of feels like a weight lifted off of you. So if you're listening, <laughs> know that it's a journey and it's okay if your health isn't in a great space right now, because there are people out there like myself and you and others that can help you become healthier and, and get to a better place. Yeah. 
Love it. And <laughs> where can people find you? Yeah, Instagram, social media's website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm on Instagram at Biohacking Brittany. Uh, Biohacking Brittany is also my website. Um, my podcast is Biohacking with Brittany. Um, and yeah, I think I'm everywhere else, like similar handles. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of cool stuff you got going on. So definitely check out Brittany's stuff. Brittany, thank you so much. I think there's a lot of nuggets here for folks uh, Mm -hmm. spread throughout. I'll capture it in in some of the notes that I share. Uh, But thank you so much for taking the time. We'll stay in touch. Great. Awesome. Thank you for having me on.